Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, and with me from East Bridgewater is the Blind Bob Show herself, and Kerrigan. Well, good evening. How are you tonight? Outstanding. And we got a good show. Continuing on St. Patty's Day, last week we had the young lady, Jack, Jackie uh, Hines, talking about uh, Irish folklore. And this week we have an outstanding gentleman, Mr. Michael Benton from uh, Wexford Paranormal, who is a Irish ghost hunter. So there we go. Michael, awesome. you're with us. I am indeed. Hey, Ron. How's it going? Hi, Anne. Hi, Michael. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm good. Um, we're, I'm enjoying the fact that it's an hour earlier tonight. That is yeah. uh, wonderful. <laughs> hmm. But as Steve says, you're still coming from our future. I am. That's yes. true. He got Appreciate the hour we lost. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we right? catch up on, on Sunday night, so <laughs> Saturday night is on the morning. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, because uh, England, of course, and Ireland is five year, hours ahead of us. So they're, you know, from right. our future when we talk to them versus uh, someone from the States. So there you go. Anyways, yes, I Michael, understand that. Blonde I, as I am. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Michael, uh, you have been investigating the paranormal with uh, uh, Wexford Paranormal. Uh, is that the correct name of the group? Or did I mess it up? No, that's correct. Wexford Paranormal is right. Um, we've been we've been uh, doing our thing, whatever that might be, for the last number of years. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, the, the guys that are involved have been involved from day one, so it's nice to know that um, you know, with everyone that has has become involved uh, are in for the long haul, so to speak. You know, we've so, got lots going on over here. Sorry, go ahead, Ron. So what, you guys were like sitting around the pub uh, having a few guineas and uh, all of a sudden uh, Most Haunted came on and said, we could do that, and you went out and started the group? Well, I was sitting in the pub and I realized... Aha, I knew there was a pub there somewhere. <laughs> oh, I'm, just, I'm just going with your, uh, your angle here, so I thought, you know, sitting at the pub, I can see spirits everywhere, let's explore this further. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, there wasn't a pub involved. I mean, I, I've had a, a huge interest in the subject for quite some time, and you know, exploring it as an individual and on your own it has its merits to a point. But, you know, sharing that experience with other people, it, it, it affords you the opportunity both to challenge and to be challenged in a constructive manner, generally speaking. So that's why um, Wexford Paranormal really came to be. Okay. So you, you guys got together. You were interested in the, the, the paranormal. And uh, uh, what was your first investigation like? As as the team that is Wexford Paranormal, yes, yes. Well, we we, we had the uh, the privilege of being invited to uh, a well known local um, location that uh, is probably known worldwide as, as Loftus Hall. I'm sure you've oh, heard yeah. it. certainly yep. now since um, Ghost Adventures have paid it a visit. But yeah, we we spent a the night there oh, seven years ago, maybe now at this stage. 
a fantastic location. I mean, it has all the quintessential appearance of, of a haunted mansion. You know, it's straight out of uh, Wuthering Heights. You'd expect to see Heathcliff and, and, and uh, Kathy running around down there. But, um, you know, we, we had a couple of experiences on the night. Generally speaking, it was quite enough. But, you know, it, it, it is a place. If you manage to get as far as Ireland and certainly get down to the southeast and, and visit Wexford, you should just um, pay the visit and check it out. It, it's an experience to to just be there and, and get the sense of the the legend that is Loftus Hall. Um, of course, now we talk about legends and then we talk about the backstory and we talk about the the probable cause that led to the legend. But that's that's a whole other deep and philosophical discussion. So and your first first investigation there, you kind of talked about it, but you didn't really. You kind of so. I mean, how did you do it? Uh, did anything happen? Were you? What was you impressed about uh, that night? And, uh, and what did you think you had to change after that night? Um, well, you know what? There were we, we quite a large number of people. Um, for for a large number of the crew, it was the, quite quite literally their first location. So, you know, it was a baptism of fire, purely based on the history <laughs> of the location and the legend of the location and so forth. So we were very lucky. I mean, it was really um, a great spot to start cutting your teeth, if you like, in the uh, in the world of paranormal research and paranormal investigation. Um, as I say, it was quiet enough. There were a few things that that, that stood out. There's one photo in particular to this day and uh, it, I, I struggle with explaining it because we've considered angles of shot, the um, elevation of the camera, the position of candescent light bulbs relative to that and the fact that it was a standard um, DSLR so the IR filters and all were in place and we, we got an anomalous effect through a, a doorway that we can't explain it. I suppose if you were to put a, a description on it and, and bear in mind I am putting a context on it based on just what it looks like as opposed to what it might actually be. Yeah. It looks like, um, for all the world, like flames coming through the where the glass panels would have been in the door, you know. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Now, was there, had, well, I suppose every place has burned down at some point in time, but I know it is a castle. But was had you heard anything about a fire there? A no, fire? I mean, the history of the place, the, the original Redmond Hall was built around 1350, the occurrences that, that the legend um, pertains to happened in the uh, 1700s and uh, between 1742 and 1776, there or thereabouts. Um, then uh, in 1869, 1870, the history books tell us that uh, the, the Redmond Hall as it was, the last vestiges of that were raised to the ground and the present structure that we see today was, was built in its state. So uh, that's the whistle stop. Backstory of Loftus Hall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I mean, look at—we're we're so blessed over here with, if that's the right word, <laughs> so it's with um, locations and 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 very very old locations and and oh, yeah. each of which, by any means, from my personal perspective, has to be an Scotty Castle. And I know we spoke to Jackie last week, and and Jackie would have a long-standing association and history with the castle as well. But that that location never ceases to amaze us. Um, We've had some wonderful, if that's the right word, experiences there. <laughs> wonderful for you, maybe not for somebody who doesn't uh, like paranormal activity, but yes, for us, we're all whoopee. <laughs> you know, and isn't that that's an interesting point that you raise? And I think we might have touched on this in the past, but you know, truth becomes a relative thing when you introduce perspective. 
So you and I can share the same event experience and based on our perspective of it, so we make our thoughts about the experience, our personal experience, and I can go home and talk about how I had this fantastic experience in a wonderful place. You can talk about how you had a dreadful experience in a horrendous place. Both, <laughs> you know, are telling the truth, but it's our truth, if you know what I mean. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, that the good thing about that, uh, Michael and Steve and I were talking about it on yesterday's show, is that... Uh, it it all started when because I, I just got back from a paranormal retreat, a spiritual and paranormal retreat, uh, and uh, and I told them about uh, some of the incidents that occurred. But as I explained over the year, this is what I saw, and uh, what I'm telling you is the truth because it is what I saw. But. Uh, that is all I'm doing is uh, I am reporting it. I'm not saying, okay, this was an ectoplasmic miss or, or mm-hmm. this was, uh, you know, uh, something happened here. And, and that is lost so many times in, in uh, uh, paranormal groups is, is they don't really re- report at least what they saw, which may not be the, the truth, but it is the truth to them because that's their reality. But uh, that, that is missing. People go to conclusions rather than just reporting on their experiences and, and their so forth. Absolutely. And, and I think that's a very valid point and a very important one as well, Ron, because if we visit a, a house where somebody, a private location where somebody has had experiences that they're struggling to explain and by extension they attribute um, paranormal cause and factors to it. And, you know, we can eliminate things based on previous experience and knowledge and, and, and convention, let's say, setting boards, changes in temperature, whatever it might happen to be, old piping, wiring. And, but, but even when we get to a point where something is, for me at least, significantly unexplainable, well, that doesn't mean necessarily that it can't be explained. It literally only means that I can't explain it or that science won't catch up in six months, six years' time and have a reasonable explanation for it. So I think that when I can't explain something, I need to leave it as being significantly unexplainable. If by extension I then apportion a paranormal justification to it, it's it's potentially a projection of my narrative and my perspective and most likely a step too far. I think you need to leave that space for the individual to derive their own conclusions based on this additional information um, or evidence or explanation that you've, you've offered them. Mm-hmm. Now, you operate uh, and do you uh, how can I say this? Um, ha, forget it. Let's go different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gave up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I did actually. Uh, I know that you know, for instance, that, that you have uh, worked with uh, Steve Parsons before and uh, do you uh, transcribe to his particular methods of ghost hunting? Uh, I would, certainly. Um, we, we, we would tend to have frequent, deep philosophical discussions on the subject. And, um, you know, I mean, Steve's a great guy. He's a friend of mine. I, you know, and he challenges me to challenge myself. Um, and I hope that by reciprocation, I do the same. Um, but we, we never get bored of the conversations. Yes, I do. But what I will say is that in, in the team that we have, the members themselves share differing perspectives and approaches. Um, sometimes that can be viewed as a, a, a negative thing. 
to some extent. But you know what? It challenges you to challenge yourself with regard to your own conviction and perspective and to be able to present that, to put it into words, to put it into uh, words that people can understand and have it make sense um, and then challenge them to challenge themselves. So I think it's, if you choose to see it as a positive thing, potentially it is. Mm-hmm. I agree right. 100%. All right. Now, uh, you... I know you did Lux, uh, that hall there, and, and you've done other uh, historical places. Uh, what, yeah. what, what is your, perhaps your most favorite one to investigate? There, there are two, and for two different reasons. Mm-hmm. One based on purely the, the unusual nature of the experience that quite a number of us shared, and that would have been Duckett's Grove in Carlow. And, and, and Steve has been there with us as well, been there mm-hmm. A number of times. Uh, the other one would be Enniscorthy Castle. The reason I like the castle is it never fails to offer something, uh, <laughs> even if it's only an experience on a personal level. But what I like about it is that over time, information that we had gathered through various processes of, of investigation, we gave to the then manager of the castle. As it happens, it was Jackie who you spoke to last week. Purely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but based simply on what we had given out of what we had got from the investigation and the process, she was able to go and locate the individual in question in the 1901 census. Um, you know, he, he lived on Island Road, which was just down around the corner from the castle. Um, we, you know, his wife's name, his name, his surname, his son's name, all those things were, on the face of it, you know, could be corroborated against what we had given her. So that was interesting, you know, to historically document someone that had just been presented to us through, through what we were doing. It was, it, it's unusual, it doesn't happen very often. In mm-hmm. fact, it's only ever happened once, I think, in our case. Mm-hmm. Now, people may be familiar with Duckett's Grove because they might have seen it on Destination Truth. Um, I know that, that was shown in the States a number of years ago. Um, Josh Gates, Barry Fitzgerald, a few other guys were across. <clears throat> we had a radio crew there on the night, the 2012 it was actually, so it's, it's three and a half years ago. Yeah. And um, the presenter of the show and Michael Carroll, who uh, you might be familiar with from, from the team as well, uh, had ventured off into another room because the radio presenter, Tony was his name, had thought he'd seen the light. But uh, when he, when they came back, yeah, Tony said to us, uh, you know, either there's somebody out there messing or, we, or we've just heard a growl. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Let's explore this. So we all moved across to the room in question, which was the base room of a large tower structure. Mm-hmm. And uh, in it, there were one, two, three archers windows. Um, so we all gathered in the room. And uh, this is actually on, on, I mean, we don't put much up on YouTube now in terms of the material because it's something we've just stopped doing. But yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you will find this on, on our YouTube channel if you, if you want to go seek it out. Mm-hmm. Michael just mentioned to um, Lisa, who had the thermal camera, just put the thermal camera out through the window, Lisa, to, to see if there's any wild animals or cattle or horses that we could pick up their heat signature from that might possibly be an explanation to the sound, as to the sound that Tony heard. And just as she passes the window with the thermal image, we hear the growl again. And oh. it's quite a deep, guttural uh, growl that um, certainly didn't sound like any animal. 
but it clearly sounded to us like it was coming from outside. So we split the group in two. I took half the crew outside the window. Now the walls are probably three foot, three and a half foot thick. Wow. But the next time we heard the growl, so this would be the third time, the team that were outside the window heard it as if it had come from inside. And the team inside the room thought it came from outside. So somewhere in the space between those two groups of people in three foot of, of solid wall, this, this <laughs> growl was occurring. So that was very interesting. I mean, that you know, it, it, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm at a loss to explain. It wasn't what, recorded by, any, by anyone? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you, as I yep. say, the, the footage is on there. Um, yep. It's uh, what for Paranormal and Southeast Radio, Duckett's Grove, Halloween 2012, if that's okay. what you want. Uh, if you want to have a look at that. It's about 11 minutes into the piece. Um, just turn up your audio to have a listen. We haven't affected it in any way other than to boost the level so people can hear it more conveniently. But the, the tonality of it is as it was. And in actual fact, what we did to kind of further reinforce its legitimacy as, as the sound that it was and that it hadn't been um, affected or changed in any way by us was that I asked for the radio crew to give me their audio recording of it. So they own the original and if people want to compare and contrast the two, they can request it from the station. So it's just to try and illustrate the fact that there was no manipulation in any way, shape or form because right. realistically... In this field, I honestly believe that without your integrity, you have nothing. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, you know audio is, is so interesting. You know, of course, Steve is, is probably the foremost expert on, uh, I think, paranormal oddity. I think, uh, you know, his book, uh, Infrasound, is, you know, uh, yep. accepted in a lot of places. It's, it's a, but anyways, we, on yesterday's show, we discussed this exact same thing about audio because... Uh, I was talking about two instances, in fact, Anne's uh, investigation of a house in which uh, they captured an EVP of a gunshot. And you can hear it on the recorder, but yet uh, you can't, everybody else doesn't hear it at all. And then I mentioned uh, an incident that occurred with Mark Nesbitt down at Gettysburg where we were taping an interview. Uh, in an engine house and we heard a huge bang and, and it's on video where you can see people running to where it was and everything but yet the sound wasn't recorded so I asked Steve I said of the two instances which one has more validity and surprisingly enough which one do you think he said Ooh. This is where I might not receive a Christmas card from him now. <laughs> <laughs> Which one did I think he said? Hmm. I, I, I really don't know. You know, this is literally a guess, but I would have perhaps thought the latter of the two. The one that wasn't recorded or the one that was recorded? The one that wasn't. Exactly. That's exactly what he said. The witnesses uh, were more reliable than the recorder because it was one recorder and uh, he told me of an instance uh, where uh, the recorder was actually wrong. Uh, They were doing an investigation and they had people everywhere and uh, it, it was a stairs and they had a recorder on it and they heard on the recorder the sounds of someone stomping down the stairs like they had boots on. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but when they went and looked at the video of the recorder, they didn't see anything. And of course, no one saw it there. But uh, on further review of the notes of the team, they found out that at that time, someone had dropped the pencil and the pencil went down the stairs. And that's what the recorder. Uh, seriously? Seriously. Wow. Because the recorder was on the stairs and the vibrational tones from the pencil were much louder to the recorder. I than suppose, anything. yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing. I was surprised at that answer, too, uh, Michael. I, I was for sure he was going to say the, uh, you know, the instrument. Uh, but then he told me that. And so, yeah, uh, that's the cool thing, uh, you know, about the paranormal is that you get these things and they're so interesting. And, and you, you know, you, you try to uh, look for logical explanations for them. But, you know, like you like you did there, you, they're a little hard to explain. You know you heard something. But you could never explain what it was. Yeah, yeah, and you know, to me, it's it's a process of elimination. Rule out what it isn't first, you know, and consider then from there what what the variables might be that you're left with. And um, you know, I kind of like the idea of rock and razor as well. That if we've got two potential explanations, the simplest one is most likely the the, the reasonable one. Mm-hmm. That yeah. makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so anyways, we actually have a question for you from uh, the chat room, man. You want to take care of that? Sure. Uh, John would like to know, uh, are there any good Irish haunted places to visit? Oh, I know we've just just discussed a number. (laughs) I would not be a true Irishman if I didn't say that they're all good ones to visit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you wanted me to list them in order of personal preference, I could do that, but... Yeah, no, I mean, we're so lucky over here with with the the volume and and variety of locations we have, you know, from castles to old buildings to, uh, like, in fact, as you're probably aware, we're heading into uh, Easter weekend now, and it's the hundredth anniversary of the rising of Easter 1916 here in Ireland, and there's a huge number of events that will take place over over the weekend um, attached to that, and and. In Wexford, again, we're so lucky because, you know, the Rising took place in Dublin. And Enniscorthy, where the castle is, was the only place really outside of that that, that rose as well with, with Dublin in 1916. Um, and for, you know, one brief 36-hour period, if even that, uh, Wexford was a republic in 1916. <laughs> or, at least Enniscorthy was, anyway. Uh we have a number of uh, members of the public joining us on Friday night in Enniscorthy Castle. And what most of them may not even realise is that the clock that hung on the wall inside the GPO in Dublin on the morning of the uh, Easter Rising is now uh, resident in Enniscorthy Castle. So if we explore ideas like trigger objects and uh, um, memory occurrence of significant events already. Surely the, the, the clock will become a, a feature topic of the night on Friday night, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, are you allowed to touch it at all? The clock? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being rude. Um, <laughs> well, I think we, we, we probably get uh, special permission for that. And generally, we don't. It, it's, it has its place on the wall. It, it's not in a, it isn't in a glass cabinet. It, I mean, it's accessible if anyone oh, wants it. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because yeah. I mean that would be uh, as far as psychometry, it'd be pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. Psychometry is like my favorite thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've we've um, conducted a few psychometry experiments at times, and we have members of the public in. You know, because in, I think in the paranormal, we're looking at in the world of paranormal. Um, interest we're looking at to divide one is the research aspect and the other is the experience aspect and you know at what point are you you know what's your motivation is it research or is it experience and and i think when we work with members of the public it, it falls into the experience category you know people come and they have personal experiences they'll attribute uh, personal reasoning and justification and 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 um, context and understanding to their experiences that might be very different than the person next to them in the same place at the same time exposed to the same uh, event you know mm -hmm. yeah so anyways I know we're coming up on uh, break uh, so uh, if somebody wanted to get uh, in touch with you how could they do that Michael our website is on there so just check out Western Paranormal um, we, you can email us at westernparanormal.com at yahoo.com, I should say, and uh, Facebook as well. You'll find us there on Watch Paranormal, you know. But um, we enjoy working with members of the public. We have a lot of people who come back and, and see us time and time again. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's really turning into a gathering of friends now. And we like to uh, share that experience with other people and with other teams. One of the things we're very proud of in, in Wexford is that we have consistently encouraged uh other teams to come visit the, the area, come visit the locations, come down to Scarlet Castle, and they do, and they come back, and they come back again. And you know, one of the the, the, the most fascinating byproducts of what we do is, is the friendships that we've made over the years as well, and the people we've met um, and, and had the opportunity to work with, or even the people that we haven't met and have had the opportunity to Skype with across thousands of miles of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need to fix that, though, guys. When you fix that, we need to get you over here. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. When are we going? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's an open invitation, so anytime is fine by me. I know, awesome. I know, I know. Awesome. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Steve is popping back across in eight weeks' time. Yeah, I'm just going to get my flight restrictions removed, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we are coming up on a break, so we're going to have to uh, take a break right now and... Uh, We'll be back after a, a few messages. But anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojinet, Pararex, uh, wherever the hell else will be in play. Maybe the Ghost Box, who knows. Uh, with Ann Carrigan and Ron Kolick, and our special guest is Michael Benton from Wexford Paranormal. We'll be right back. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. 
Hi, I'm Ron Kolick from the New England Ghost Project. And I'm Gail Lax from Winslow Studio Yoga and Healing. And we'd like to invite you to a very special event that we're running March 18th through the 20th. At the historic Daniel Inn in Brunswick, Maine. This is a weekend retreat, Gail, right? It is. It's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be all about ghost hunting. And connecting with spirit. Ooh, that sounds fun. And we're going to try new things that have never been done before. And we'll be investigating one of the most historic houses in Brunswick. And your weekend will include some great workshops and energy, all of our paranormal investigations, some wonderful food, and a group mediumship reading as well. A red light seance too, right? Yes. And you never know who will come through in a red light seance. You never know. And uh, if people were interested in getting tickets for this, how could they do that, Gail? Oh, they can go to our website at www.winsoulstudio.com and go to our events page, and you can put your deposit down and reserve your space for this amazing retreat. So don't delay on this rare opportunity to spend a weekend with Gail and me as we go in search, search of, of spirit. spirit. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Anne and our special guest this evening, Michael Benson of Wexford Paranormal. Michael? Hello. Hey, guys. <laughs> We're I back. I did my brief and speak before I was talking to. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I have a question for Michael, and um, I know that this is, you know, uh, the best opportunity an investigator can have is to be able to visit a place on like a regular basis. Uh, Do you guys find yourselves going back to say the castle uh, or, you know, particular places over and over again so you can build off that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, Enniscorted Castle, we we see it as nothing less than, than our, our home from home or, you know, at the risk of using words incorrectly, our spiritual home. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's where, you know, as it, we, we've built our our relationship with each other as a team in that environment. We've built a relationship between us as a team and that environment. And we have been so proactive, and I'm, I know I'm coming back to what I said before the break, but so proactive in encouraging other individuals other teams to be there to experience that space and to feed into the the um, the acquisition of of, of, of knowledge and, and you know evidence and I'd go so far as to say evidence but but not proof because I think too many people get hung up on the idea of proof you know I, I, it doesn't worry me too much we, we go out and we gather evidence and, and you know that evidence over time might very well lead to the discovery of some truth or other but 
I think if, if, of going out to gather proof, you know, is a burden in itself. That's probably an unnecessary one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> um, oh, and we do have a question from Stephen Scott. And he uh, would like to know, what are the expectations that many folks have coming to an event in Ireland? And does it differ from other locations in other countries? What we find is that when people come to Anastasia Castle, for example, uh, and, and if they haven't been to an event before, they're coming very much with a mindset that reflects the, the popular perception of the, the world of the paranormal as TV presents it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're very quick from the outset to say to people, you know, you've seen this on TV, you've seen how it happens. Well, you know, in reality, it's not going to be anything like that. Uh, if, we, <laughs> if we spend six hours here and nothing happens, that from my perspective as a, a researcher, I've learned something by virtue of nothing happening. But, you know, that's not for everybody. But if at the end of the six hours you discover it's not for you, at least it's a discovery based on uh, informed perspective. Right. So, you know, it, it's only a negative thing if you choose to see it that way. Uh, having said that, it, it, it's never a case of a night whereby nothing ever happens. Um, you know, people go away having had their own personal experiences. Um, they enjoy it. And I think as well what we forget is that in these public forums, people get something from it that maybe has nothing to do with the subject matter directly itself. It's the shared experience with the other people, uh, the conversation over the coffee break between two um, sessions, for example. So there's so many things that, that happen that maybe we don't even observe that, that contributes to the, the, the experience the person has, that the positive experience that they have. You know, I mean, we've we've had teams visit from the UK, from Northern Ireland, from Austria, Germany, from the States as well. And uh, it's great to see it. And, and it, as often as it happens, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't happen enough. There's, there's always room for more. You know, if we could have someone in there every night, wouldn't that be fantastic? Mm. Yeah, that's it's awesome. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that, I was just going to say that's awesome. So you, you had different groups go in there. Uh, did you get to notice different ways of did they investigated or did they all investigate the same uh, way? Uh, they might have different approaches, but if we were to talk more specifically about the equipment perhaps, then mm-hmm. there would be a common thread. All right? You've got your EMF meters, your EVP recorders, your uh, ITC equipment in most cases as well, infrared, uh, full spectrum. So the equipment tends to be generically the same. Uh, what varies slightly from group to group is is their, their, the system of approach they might, they might employ. Okay. Yeah. Now... Um, have you, have you, uh, do you have the new ghost arc by any chance? No, I do not. And Are you intended on getting it? Once time, I still will not. <laughs> <laughs> Why, well, you could mortgage your house. I find the more I do this, <laughs> the less equipment I bring time and time again. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I would agree that, with that, yeah. Uh, you know, that what I would use now is, as, as what I would consider core pieces of, of uh, additional equipment, um, would be significantly smaller in number than what might have happened seven or eight years ago. Um, and I, I remember discussing this with Steve, actually, and, and, and it's true. I think, you know, we become consumed by focusing on these three, four, five items in the centre of the floor, and we all sit around them. 
and we're oblivious to everything outside of that that's going on around us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But definitely, definitely, and it's like it's just as much as people get caught up in their phones rather mm-hmm. than living in the moment. Uh, I I agree with that. Everybody's so busy looking at their instruments, they're not opening themselves for experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then then you know over time as well, it's it's been a little bit um, aware about the approach you take at a location. I mean, if you get a call from somebody who's, you know, hearing noises down their hallway and um, doors are banging in the back part of the house, well, why would you go in with, with um, anything beyond something to at least corroborate the experience by by capturing the noises? So audio recorders, yes. But very often when we visit somebody now and we, we decide that yeah there's, there's apparent merit in following up with a, a visit to the location that first visit for us might in actual fact involve no equipment whatsoever mm-hmm. can uh-huh. we first of all experience what it is they're experiencing can we by um, extension and if we do offer an explanation for that without the necessity for equipment you know because if it's creaks and bangs that's attributable to temperature change and a house settling and you know the in June or July because the evening has got cool or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's pipes that are banging because the radiators are cooling down. Why would you go to the trouble of dragging in truckloads of gear to offer the <laughs> explanation? Yeah, I mean, the... It, it, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, uh, I kind of disagree in a way. I think, and this is my opinion, uh, in that you should always record anyway. Uh, you don't need tons of equipment. You can do a single digital recorder. At least you know what transpired while you were there. And, and of course, it, it absolutely video recording is, is not a problem either because uh, the more you document every, you know, a, uh, an experience, an event, uh, even a, an interview, uh, I think it's you know, more, uh, more, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's easier to look back at it and to compare if you do an investigation at what mm-hmm. things are going on. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, but I suppose it, the distinction I'm making is, is, you know, whether it's the point of research or the point of experience. True, um, true. And, and if I can experience similar occurrences to the claims of the individual, that will help me refine how I research that going forward. You know, so I, I, I'm not dismissing it out of hand. I'm just saying that as part of a process, I find that sometimes, in terms of uh, expediting the, the the process for for myself and for the person, and and obviously not giving myself a lot of grief as well when when if mm. we experience it is conventionally explainable, it, it just saves that little bit of trouble. Now I don't want it to sound like that's being lazy because it isn't. I just find that sometimes it's sufficient. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, you're you're absolutely right. right. I mean, you, there, you know, this. It's ridiculous how, how much equipment we have now, and you know, we could bring in and set up and everything. And we don't really know yet. Uh, what? Speaking about equipment, I have a. There's a new uh, piece of equipment I just got uh, last uh, December, which is the Eddy meter. I think it's called something else in the UK, but. Uh, I like it. I, I like it. Uh, it has an EMF meter, a uh, temperature, and a geophone. So it's a single unit, uh, rubber-cased, uh, 
So I, I like it, especially in, in my in research of uh, my red light sciences and everything. We can uh, place it on a table. We can uh, pick up movement. We can definitely pick up temperature and, you know, EMF or whatever that's worth. So um, I, I, I like that meter. Uh, in fact, I like it better than a bell meter. Uh, do you have bell meters over there? Yep. I yep. have a bell with geophones and so forth. I, I must confess, I haven't heard of that particular device that you're talking about. Now. Steve actually has one. It's called something else in the UK. It's the exact same meter, but they just ha have a different name on it. Uh, okay. I, I'm sure he has it because we discussed it earlier. Uh, uh, I'm sure I see it in eight weeks' time then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, Ron, what is the name of the meter again? It's uh, Eddie Meter. It's called in the US EDI. EDI. Okay. Yeah. It's around a uh, hundred bucks or so. Okay. Yeah, it's, right. a, it's, it's a good meter. I like it. I like I get it better than the Mel, and I used to like the Mel meter quite a bit. Uh, but I like the Eddie meter a little bit better. Ghost Stop sells it here in the U.S. Ah, okay. I'm just I just pulled up some images of it because I don't think I've seen it. Oh, really? Uh, no. Have you I, I had it? I, yeah, you haven't gone with me for a while, right? Yeah, I haven't seen you use it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I like yeah. it, especially uh, for the uh, well, for a lot of places. It's it's actually handy uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but let's go back to you know, speaking about equipment. I was talking to Steve about one of the incidents that we had uh, at the uh, retreat, and this had to do with the flare thermal imager. And we had a medium involved, and it was kind of like uh, the medium was giving information, and then it would appear on the uh, the thermal imaging. And I, I found that interesting. Uh, I'm not saying it, it was proof or anything, but it was certainly interesting. And uh, there's so many things like that. But if you're in a public investigation, it's, you know, is it really evidence? Or is it, you know, because you can't really, like, reproduce it. Uh, because you'd have to have the exact conditions, the exact number of people in the room, the exact time, all this other crap. Uh, so it's difficult. But do you find that on with the, when you do your events and stuff that if you collect some type of interesting phenomena, uh, do you consider that as, as, as like evidence or proof or, or, or what, uh, what, what do you do with it? Well, it's, it's a catalog of perspectives. It's a... It's, it's a, it's a if you like a, a representation of people's experiences in the location and, and you know in isolation maybe you know they don't mean a whole lot but perhaps over a period of time a pattern might emerge mm -hmm. but what is interesting about the public events I think as well is that you can have like as I tend to spend time down in the dungeon in the, in the castle when, when people are as in as well you should uh, yeah, in fact, people would say I should spend it there even when there's no one in. Yeah. But that's fine to do. Um, but you can have one group in, and there's a dynamic generated within the group that leads to a whole plethora of things taking place in that 45 minutes or that hour. And then you can have another group down, and the dynamic is very different. Um, the occurrences are minimal, if non-existent. And what is it about that? Because you know it's the same environment. The only variable is the people. So I know how much does the observer affect um, what's being observed, or even influence or inhibit what's potentially available to be observed? Um, right. Yeah. 
And, and that's an interesting point because, you know, if, if we say that we are looking, we're, you know, searching for spirit, a ghost, then you actually, you know, could have that dynamics where the spirit or the ghosts might not like the particular group. Maybe they're a bunch of wise asses. Maybe they're not. Yeah. So why would they work with them? And they might find another group that might be more sympathetic uh, or vice versa. You, you don't know. You know, you might find a group that tends to be a little scary and, and maybe the, the spirit likes to have a little fun with that. So, I mean, that's the interesting dynamics is, is not even, you know, looking at you know, uh, just the personalities, but the, the, the interaction, if you believe there are spirits, that uh, how they would interact with uh, the humans. Absolutely, and that, that, that actually brings up another interesting point as well. You'll find that when groups reconvene in the breaks between sessions, that Group A, who were in the dungeon, and Group C, who were up in the turret on the roof, will all talk about how they were communicating with a particular name and it's the same name for both groups and mm -hmm. what does that say about space, times, dimensions and, and how potentially something can be in a dungeon and in a turret at the same immediate point in time and engage with well, two You know what they say about that, Michael that nothing is impossible for the spirit there is yeah. no time, there is no space that's what they say yeah, and the question somebody, is, who, anyways, who are they? <laughs> somebody, are says they? That. And, and, somebody says that. I'm not quite sure who, but somebody okay. does. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking at your eddy meter here on 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 my monitor. It's it's very uh, you know military grade research equipment, isn't it? It's look, yeah, very tough looking. I don't know. It's yeah. kind of cool. I mean, uh, it is what it is. So uh, I, I like it. Um, you know, I. I've only, you know, I've only had it since December, so, uh, you know, it's got some flaws to it, of course, like all pieces of equipment that are made for ghost hunting. Uh, but on the whole, I think it's, uh, I, I, I like using it. So, anyways, I know we're, we've got a couple of questions in the chat room right now, so we better get to those before we run out of time, Ann. Yes, we do. Uh, Stephen would like to know, uh, Michael, what do you feel gets better interaction? Uh results in feedback from an investigation, uh, the use of modern technology or more traditional pen and paper observation methods? Okay, what we find, uh, and I can say this honestly, and, and for me, it, 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 I tend to like the, the research, I tend to like the, the technology, I will confess that even though I talk about not using it uh, from the outset, um, but Experientially, and I think it's, excuse the pun, it's the hands-on aspect of it, but people go away time and time again talking about uh, the glass, the table, the glass, the table. Now, for me, and I'm, I'm speaking personally now, I'm not representing the team as a whole because we have different perspectives. For me personally, I would not employ table tipping or glass divination in an investigation because I would argue you cannot use the paranormal to prove the paranormal. That's true. Mm. But it's interesting, okay. though. That, that is perhaps the most dynamic, and I agree 100%. Uh, you know, that's, at the end of the night, that's what they all go home talking about. Right. They do. That's true. Absolutely. And, you know, just because on a personal level, it's not something I subscribe to to any great extent, it would be wrong of me, therefore, by extension, to prevent members of the public from having that practical um, experience for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, simply because it's not something I'm, I'm prepared to be party to. So, yes, we 
afford individuals the opportunity to experience aspects, whether it's current or historical, in terms of the evolution of paranormal investigation, of paranormal research, of, of ghost hunting, whatever tags we put on it. So, yes, um, we include all those things. Um, okay. You know, and, uh, you know, the, the fact that people come back time and time again, you know, yes, it's the subject matter itself, but I'd like to think that it, it reflects and says something about the personalities within within our team as well and, and how I like how much of a likable bunch of people we are, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a big shout out to all the guys on the team now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, John's question is uh, regarding modern technology, uh, well, yeah, modern technology, using smartphone apps to investigate uh, because he saw on an episode of Ghost Hunter, Hunter uh, Ghost Hunters, that they're using a thermographic camera app in a smartphone. Oh, that depends on what it was that he's talking about. Uh, Flare actually makes a uh, Flare camera for the uh, iPhone, which is an extremely good device it, it, because it not only has gives you the thermal imaging, but it also gives you a regular camera, so it, it's layered, so you actually can see the thermal imaging above uh, what you're looking at, so it gives you a clearer picture. So there are, it, it depends, let's put it this way, if you pay 99 cents for it, forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the, the camera that, that uh, Ron is talking about, I have seen that as well, and I, I, know, I know Steve has one, and I'm quite impressed by it. In fact, it's significantly more advanced than the uh, Fleur i3 that we have, which captures still images, and uh, you upload them to your computer, and it. I have the same one, Michael. I, I'm yeah, jealous yeah, too. Yeah, and, and that you know, and back then that was the holy grail of of equipment for for teams yeah. like that. To be able to afford something like that was was. You know, you had arrived. <laughs> yeah, I paid a thousand dollars for mine, and I think there you can get them for around three or four hundred bucks now. Wow! Well, just, so, yeah, exact yeah. same one. Uh, apps, wow! Yes, yeah. I just want to say in terms of apps on phones, I've never used them, so I really can't comment either way. It's it's not something I would choose to use. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've yeah, never. I, used, um, I, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I I just I use everything. Uh, just because uh, I don't give validity to it, but I, I want to see if there is any correlation. Does you know? Does it have any chance of of doing anything? <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things I always talk about, and I know we're running out of time too, is that uh, we had a case here uh, a couple of years ago about a little boy that was found dead in in Maine, and. Uh, there wasn't much in the paper about it, just that they found the body and so forth. So we cut the article out of the paper, and uh, we went to my paranormal study group, and uh, we read the, the article, the, the whole group did, and we just started thinking about it. Okay. And we had one of those 99-cent apps, the uh, Ghost Radar, and, of course, it records words. It's, it speaks words and records words. So it get, you know spit a whole bunch of words out. So... Bang, that was it. So uh, a month later, uh, of course, a lot had been found out by then. They found, discovered who uh, uh, killed the little boy and so forth. And uh, so I cut the article out of the paper at that point and came back to the, the paranormal study group. And we compared the words that uh, the ghost radar had spit out 
uh, versus what we knew about the case at that, that time. And it was really extremely interesting because uh, there was a lot of words that, you know, you could kind of make fit, but there were a lot of ones that were pretty specific. Uh, specific. Uh, for instance, first of all, the little boy was killed by the mother. So the mother came up, of course, and Texas came up, and she was from Texas. Uh, Navy, her son was in the Navy. Airplane, the little boy had an airplane on his shirt when he was found. Um, Car came up, of course, she was found captured in, in, the, in the car and uh, praying, and she was found reading the Bible. It came up with a whole ton of words that were really specific to the case, including the name of her lawyer. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, so, you know, it was interesting. Uh, can I say, oh, that applicant talked to dead spirits or anything? No, but it was certainly uh, an interesting experiment, and uh, we got way many, you know, five more words than we should have had just by coincidence mm. or by That's sorry. amazing. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, it's... The lawyer's it's, name, that would... Yeah. It's, yeah, it was Murphy, by the way. Okay. Wow. What are your, what are your brethren? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, on the subject of words and things, I'm just going to... This is a, a little bit of a gratuitous plug. If anyone hasn't seen Enniscardi Castle, you probably have a couple of opportunities this year. We had uh, Jonathan Legg visit us to shoot a segment for Road Less Traveled which people might be familiar with on Discovery or the, the Travel Channel and so forth. Uh, and more recently, we had uh, Liesl Hilsta over. She was shooting a program called Island Hunters. And uh, I, I just had an email from the um, the producer, director of the show, and he was saying to me that the, the hits that they've got on the audio is is uh, exciting them greatly. So I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see what comes out in, in that show. So that will be, oh, cool. be two opportunities, I'm sure, stateside to see Anascardi Castle in, in the 2016 season. Awesome. No, that would be awesome. That would be yeah. extremely awesome. So, you know, sometimes we don't get it here. Uh, some of the programs take uh, a long time to get over here, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, yeah, but... Oh, wow, two minutes. That means... Uh, Doorbell's here, Pete's from the dead, so we've got to say goodbye to you. So uh, anything you want to uh, plug? I know we have some, actually some listeners in Ireland and the U.K. right now, so... uh yeah, uh, no, if, just just to say to people, you know, we're, we're here in Wexford, um, the places that we have access, the locations we have access to, you know, do get in touch. We would love to have people come spend some time with us, come spend some time in these places. And, uh, you know, our door is always open because when somebody's learning, if we're present it to lock? experience it, then everybody... <laughs> uh, it does lock, yeah, no, I have a key, you know, oh, you okay. can have a key. You think a key to an 800-year-old castle would be something quite exotic, but it's not, and it's got a little pink plastic top on it. So there you go. <laughs> and, Michael, you, you forgot to mention perhaps the most important thing, of course, and that's your book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but now that you bring it up, <laughs> if anyone would like to hear more or read more about Enniscardi Castle or some of the other um, significant locations and, and cases in Wexford, then, yes, certainly Haunted Wexford by uh, Michael Benson. I'm, I'm familiar with his work. And followed by Steve <laughs> Parsons is available in all good bookshops and online stores. So check that out as well. And if you do, I'd love some feedback on your thoughts about it. Yep, it's, I believe it's on Amazon uh, here in the U.S. Yes, so. Book Depository and you though, so... Yeah, nice. I, I did. I get, did get the chance to peruse it, and I thought it was a decent book. So uh, that's uh, a uh, recommendation. Thank you awesome. very much. Very nice. So, Michael, we want to thank you so much for uh, staying up to uh, eleven o'clock there, because 
mean, you know what? I, I, I sit here waiting for the show to start thinking, my goodness, how am I going to talk for an hour? And then, you know, 60 seconds later, the hour has passed. So it's always a pleasure to talk <laughs> to and to you, Anne. Uh-huh. And to you as well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thank you for joining us and happy hunting. Pleasure. Until next time, folks. Take care. All right. Good night. Sorry. Thanks, Michael. So for Ann and I on uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, it's time to say good night and God bless. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you soon. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.